We are in the second sermon of the two-part mini-series, How to Win and Lose Like Jesus. <laughs> um, and uh, last week, uh, I told you at the beginning, like, I was nervous. Um, preaching anything as it relates to politics always makes me nervous. Um, not because of just the divisiveness that exists there, um, and not because I have any real history with <laughs> like you know, arguing with people about politics. At the end of the day, when people start like getting into heated debates about politics, I ask what their favorite pizza topping is. Because I'm like, change the subject <laughs> fast. Like, did you know that we're, old, that we're pescatarian? Like, <laughs> wow, you know what that is? No. <laughs> Man, what's your favorite brand of extra virgin olive oil? Like, <laughs> just <laughs> eventually they get it. <laughs> like, I don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, but more so than that, um, I have seen church leaders and seen the church manipulate the congregation um, politically to say, one way or the other, this is God's way of doing politics, and this is it, and this is what we have to do if we want to honor and please God. And it feels nice to be able to say, I'm going in the direction God wants me to go, and it be a very specific, all of us moving in the same way place. And the truth is, that's just not true. It's not a thing. It's not. God has created the body of Christ with such wide diversity. Yes, that's in spiritual gifts and ministry, but also in the way in which we steward the earth and all of it is important. And I said at the end of last week's sermon that when we're prepping for a win, we're prepping for making the decision and maintaining our shared identity at the end of it. So Tuesday, we got to make a decision, a number of decisions. I still felt like I won at the end of it because we all back together. <laughs> We're still following Christ. Michigan didn't implode. We're still co-stewards of the earth. We're still responsible for caring for what the Lord has created and has entrusted to us. That hasn't changed. But this week's sermon is about on how to lose like Jesus. Because we had, many of us had thoughts and imaginations about how it should have been. And it did not turn out that way for many of us. And there's loss there. <laughs> So that's where we're going today. I want to pray first and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for your word. And while the word says absolutely nothing about Tuesday's election, <laughs> it fosters in us and cultivates in us character that's like you. Not just behaviors that are like you, character, values, a heart that is yours, God. 
We know that we are a part of your family because you have welcomed us to share, God, in caring for and stewarding this earth. By your grace, you have adopted us as your children. So even before we do and say stuff, we get to be yours. Today is no different. Be glorified in how we be yours today. May every word that I say be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So the title of the sermon is Know When to Walk Away. Uh, Hey, (laughs) Tiana said, Kenny Rogers, hey, listen, (laughs) no one to hold them, no one to fold them, and no one to walk away. (laughs) We'll be in Matthew chapter 10, Um, but we'll also spend a moment in John uh, chapter 11. Uh, The verses will be up on the screen, um, but if you are an individual who likes to make notes in your Bible margins and if you have an electronic Bible and you like to take notes, that's where we'll be. Before we get there, though, I want to go to another portion of Scripture. So we don't often talk about when Jesus loses in Scripture. We don't like talking about when Jesus loses. Most of us don't even process it that way because we're so like accustomed to victory in Jesus. Like Jesus wins all the time. He's always winning, right? Um, and there's like, it's okay for us to hold intention. I said last week, there's this gray space sometime in scripture. It's okay for us to hold intention that Jesus is victorious overall. But moment by moment, Jesus wasn't always winning. And that's okay too. If we agree with scripture where it says that Jesus was tempted in all the ways in which we are tempted, then we also have to acknowledge that not everything Jesus wanted to happen happened because then he would not be faced with any temptation to navigate that inappropriately. That's a linear logic way of thinking. Jesus couldn't have won all the time because then he would have never had to demonstrate character of loss. So. Jesus has this moment where he's performing all these miracles. He's people's lives are being transformed. And then we get Mark chapter six. I'm going to read this for us. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Some of y'all know this one because you're like, yes, I know exactly where we're going. The next Sabbath, the next day that they Uh, rested and got together for worship. He began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon and his sisters live right here among us. Some of y'all didn't even think about the fact that Jesus has siblings like that. Like, they had a whole squad of kids. <laughs> okay? We don't even know how many sisters he had. Like, <laughs> they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus is on this campaign, if you will. <laughs> you like that, don't you? Jesus is going around healing people, preaching the coming kingdom, 
People are having sicknesses and lameness cast out of them. Demons are cast out of them. He gets to his hometown. Good old Grand Rapids. No. Gets to his hometown. And they are, they have this mixture of emotions. Like, wow, that's awesome. That, wow, where did you learn how to do that? <laughs> Last we checked, you was just making rocking chairs in your garage. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just make rocking chairs. What is this? They, on the, after all of the internal debate of the crowd, amazement and this scoffing, they... Many of them land on the side of, yeah, we ain't believing that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what just happened here, but I know I saw you in high school, Jesus. You, <laughs> that's not a thing, okay? That's not a thing. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. This is creator of the universe, God. This is raise up people from dead, Jesus. This is heal somebody from 12 years of bleeding, Jesus. Doesn't say because of their unbelief, he walked away frustrated and didn't do miracles. He could not. We may not have ever really processed that as a loss for Jesus because we don't want to see Jesus as a loser. We immediately go, they didn't believe. It's all them. It's them. It's them. It's them. And sure, it is. But for the sake of our conversation right now, we have to position ourselves to be in Jesus's shoes, who ultimately he's not he doesn't care. It's not it's not, it's not a scenario. Of, uh, he's not judging himself one way or the other in terms of his success. But at the end of the day, he set out to heal some folks and he didn't. He couldn't. At the end of the day, he set out to set some people free, but there was a barrier to their freedom and he imagined them as free and didn't get to see that. That's one of the first and really the few times we see Jesus losing somewhere. I'm pointing that out. I'm pointing that out because I want us to have this. I want us to take this abstract idea of losing like Jesus and try to make it concrete. I don't want it to just be a, a cool little I, it's like, oh, that was a nice name, how to win and lose like Jesus, but we'll primarily focus on the win part. Nope. If Jesus could have called down a legion of angels when he was on the throne, or excuse me, when he was on the cross, he could have done a whole bunch of stuff that day to make them believe. But he didn't. And I want us to hold that for a minute because Jesus says something to the disciples 
that I want us to also take away and hold as we talk about losses, even in political losses. Jesus is sending the apostles out. And he says in Matthew 10, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. I want, if you had a paper Bible, star with a pencil, highlight that or something, because that's really important. He says, don't go to the Gentiles and to Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick and raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belt. No, gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes or sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. He's given them some instruction. And then he gets to this place. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back the blessing. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town or the judgment day. Excuse me, on the judgment day. I left that last one in there. I kind of went back and forth because that's not the primary focus, but I know that we like to make it that. We are so predisposed to the idea of winning that we don't pause to process what's happening in loss. We, and when we don't win, we start immediately thinking about all the people who made it so we didn't win and processing, in this case, their consequences. If they don't believe, they don't get healed. <laughs> if they don't receive your message, it's going to be worse off for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jesus gives all these detailed instructions about how to navigate where he where he's sending them. Do this. Don't do that. Don't take this. Take that. Stay here. Don't sleep here. And if they don't want it, just bounce. He's instructing them on what happens, what it looks like when they will lose When they don't want it, just shake the dust off your feet, which is pretty contrary to the way in which we navigate things. Reason why I said to star and highlight that Jesus isn't saying go talk to some people who don't know what you're talking about. And when they don't lose it or when they don't want it, shake the dust off your feet. He's saying go talk to people whom you share identity with. And when they don't want it, Just shake the dust off your feet. The reason why I'm saying that is because I've been on social media this past week and seeing Christians go back and forth about like, oh, man, proposal three, blah, blah, blah. Y'all don't really love Jesus, do you? I was in a meeting this week with other church leaders. As they said, 
if we could pass proposal three, then that's proof that the church has lost its way and we don't love Jesus. Some of y'all are like, what? <laughs> yes. And some of you are like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> oh, this is the tension. Jesus instructs them with all these details and says when they won't pass the thing that you believe they should pass or when they pass what you don't believe they should pass, dust your feet off. Not the same as complain. Tell them how they suck at life and they don't actually want God which is not the same as fill your Facebook feed with a number of scriptures <laughs> that tell them why they made the wrong choice. I know this is, I know like some of us are like, I'm t- some people's toes are immediately kind of in danger. It's complex, but here's what I want us to see. Jesus doesn't guilt us into good. When we talk about losing like Jesus, it's not to guilt us into good. And that can be challenging for us because, as I said at the beginning, we're so used to manipulating people with Scripture as a church. We're so used to manipulating people with the truth of God and with God's values. And this is what God stands for. So if you choose to past this, and that means you're not standing with God. Well, at no point when Jesus wanted to heal people in Nazareth did he come up to them and say that if you don't really want this, you don't want me, and you don't want a carpenter to heal you, then you don't want to be healed. He just doesn't do it. He can't. He just goes on to a different city. At no point does he tell the disciples as they're going out to do all this wonderful miracles. He never once says, go to the town and convict them of their sin. He says, go go into the town, heal people, cast out demons, set people free. And if they don't want it, just dust your feet off. He doesn't guilt them into good. And this this should convict us, church. Because we have good that we want to bring into our voting. When we process and we pray, whatever bubbles, in, bubbles that we're marking in, we don't do so with just the idea that, oh, I'm doing this and I don't really care the outcome. No, that would not be Christ-like. We absolutely care about the outcome. And when we don't get it, what happens? We default to this world's way of navigating our loss. Oh, y'all didn't want Jesus to begin with. You didn't really love him because if you loved him, you would have did what, I what I've done. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? (laughs) If you really loved him, you would have voted like me. If you really love Jesus, Michigan, it wouldn't be so blue. I'm just saying what a lot of people were saying. Just being honest. 
I'm not, this is not, I'm not talking about what people who don't follow Christ were saying. I wasn't even looking at their posts. I have no expectation for them to do it the way that we should do it. My expectation is that we do something different. My expectation is that the church looks different than that. My expectation is that when we lose, we emulate character like Jesus. And we don't always know how to do that because we've been taught over time that we can guilt each other into holiness, and that is not a thing. That's a part of why the church's witness is so incredibly weak right now. Because we keep trying to guilt and manipulate each other into doing what we would do, doing what we believe Jesus wants. When at the end of the day, when Jesus loses and he instructs the disciples in how to lose, kick the dust off your feet. A.K.A. I'll worry about that later. But God, you called us to steward the earth right now. I'll worry about that later. God, I was so convicted that I was supposed to vote no on one, two, and three. I'll worry about that later. God, I was so convicted that this is the way we should have gone because of this particular way that this particular political party thinks. I'll worry about that later. Kick your dust. Kick the dust off your feet. It's my job. To care about the values and the character of the heart of these people. It's your job to love well regardless. Amen. Oh, but Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus. They don't care about babies. Oh, I know some of our toes. Chase. I got that. But they don't care about the economy. Chase, I got it. Maybe if I just told them this scripture, then they would get it. Chase, it doesn't even matter. It's Thursday, and that was Tuesday. (laughs) Kick the dust off your feet. Some of us for the last five days have been in this roller coaster of depression because we know Michigan is going straight into Satan's living room (laughs) because we didn't vote the way we should have. And Jesus, I'm telling you, is like, kick the dust off your feet. I care way more about Michigan than you do. I got this. Did you faithfully do what I instructed you? Did you then kick the dust off your feet? But let me tell you now. Listen, church, I believe this is directly from the Holy Spirit. If the father does not make us do what he deems good. Then us trying to manipulate each other into doing what we believe is good will not bear the fruit that we hope to see. 
The only thing that will come from that is 20-somethings like, yeah, the church is trash. <laughs> the only thing that will come from that is teenagers looking at adults be super childish about something that you're going to vote it on again in four years. And say, yeah, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want that. I don't see Buddhists arguing about politics. I'm just, just saying, I didn't like, I have some friends that are Buddhists. I didn't see their posts. <laughs> I don't see individuals who are atheists all on social media talking about how our values are trash. I think that's just something that's I've seen in the church that should convict us because we're not losing the way Jesus would have us lose. And I know not everybody in here voted there's some folks who voted to pass the things that passed. And that's cool. That's great. I'm going to talk to y'all in a second. I'm specifically landing on the side of the conversations that have walked away experiencing loss. Because I want us to first have the conviction of, yo, we need to make sure that we don't live in the pattern of this world that is when I experience loss, I fight it. It's okay to lose sometimes. It really is. It really is. At the end of the day, we know, we see revelation. We see at the end of it, like, okay, yeah, we win all the way at the end. So I don't have to be so anxious about every single battle. But let's be clear. If we don't know how to lose well, then we will miss stuff that we really need to be paying attention to. We're so busy trying to go down. We're saying, we're saying I'm not going to go down without a fight. And we're basically having collateral damage on the sidelines of our children our unbelieving family members, our neighbors, who expect to see something different from us. They may not be able to articulate, but their soul expects to see something in us that is different than the rest of the world. Jesus doesn't guilt us into good. I want you to see this picture. I want to talk about Lazarus. Some of y'all are like, wait a minute, he won at the end of that. I know. Relax. <laughs> I'm not going to read the full story of the resurrection of Lazarus, but I'm going to talk through the story of it. If you're an individual who wants to read all the details of it, it's in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Jesus and the disciples are off doing ministry stuff, winning. Hey, Healing people. Mary and Martha 
send word to Jesus via a friend. Yo, you need to hurry up and get over to Mary and Martha's. Lazarus is, he's, he's looking pretty bad. Jesus says, one of the first things he says to, to the messenger is, he'll get up again. It's going to be so, so that the Son of God is glorified. He says this at the beginning. He's going to, and then they're like, yo, Lazarus is dead. He's just asleep. <laughs> right? He tells them like, yo, he's going to get up again. Multiple times, Jesus is aware of the fact that Lazarus is dying. He tells them, we're going to let it play out. And I will raise him to life again. And he stays for two extra days knowing all of this is playing out. He gets to Mary and he gets to Martha. They have their moment of If you had been here, then he wouldn't have died. Jesus is still like, he knows the end of this. There's something that was really interesting that happened after that. They say to him, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You could have kept him from dying. And there's other people, too, who say very similar things. Like, yo, he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. And the emotional response of Jesus is anger. Not at the people. He doesn't, he's not responding in anger at them. He just, it just says, Jesus is, he welds up with anger. And there's a one verse that I want to point out. It's verse 35. Then Jesus wept. We used to have to go around the table and say Bible verses before we could eat. This was my little sister's. Then <laughs> Jesus wept. Jesus already knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I think, like, we have to put ourselves into this story for us to really extract anything from it. If we position, I know you're not Jesus, but if you put yourself in Jesus's shoes for just a moment, most of us would not have any emotional response at all because we know. We already know. What would be the reason of going through highs and lows emotionally if you know the end of it? It's like an adult with a two-year-old who scrapes their knee for the first time. Listen, we know it's going to heal. You're fine. And some of us, that's how we are. We know the end of it. So we're pretty callous emotionally. That isn't Jesus. Jesus wept. Even though he knew there was victory on the other side of that, he wept. Why would Jesus need to weep? Because he loves them. Jesus entered into the pain of their loss, even though he knew that the end of it was not a complete loss. He wasn't flippant, callous about the emotions that they were experiencing. He entered into 
that loss with them and wept with them. And some of us like, he wept because he loved Lazarus. <laughs> he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't about Lazarus. Trust me. It wasn't about Lazarus. It was about his sisters, Mary and Martha, and the whole town entering into their grief. And some of us have had our theology, we have moments where it's like, well, he was weeping because he was sad because of death. It couldn't have been because he was sad about death because he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. It can't be about the outcome of Lazarus's death because he's already said three times, that's not the end of this story. The end of this story is that Lazarus is going to wake up. So the only logical reason Jesus is crying is because he's entering into the pain of those who have experienced loss. Those of us who the election results went the way we wanted it to go, and we're, <laughs> yo, I got my proposals, I got my governor, I got my... All the while callous to the fact that you've got sisters and brothers who are grieving right now because they saw Michigan a very different way than you do. And we've been taught to just ignore that. We've been taught that, oh, they lost whatever, it's fine. Nope. That isn't the way of Christ. It's not the way of Christ to be careless and flippant just because he got he's getting what he wants out of it. It's the way of Christ to enter into the pain of those who are experiencing loss. Well, I talked about this a few months ago. Even knowing that this kind of electing stuff was happening, that when we experience when a part of the body experiences loss, it is the responsibility of the part of the body that won to go in and grieve with. And to say, there's some reason you voted no on this proposal. Even though the decision has already been made, help me see what you saw so that on the other side of this decision, we can still live with the wisdom God gave you. How much humility does that require? How much awareness does that require in us? No more than Jesus is demonstrating. I know the end of the story. I've already told you two times now. Lazarus is going to wake up. But I see your pain, and I'm willing to go there with you. We already know the end of the decision that we had to make a few days ago. It was marked by no one filling my mailbox with stuff. It's done. Listen, it's done. Those of us who the outcome is what we desired, winning and losing like Jesus isn't just a binary conversation. It is this multifaceted, multidimensional 
super Holy Spirit-led phenomenon that allows us to, even in the middle of our celebrating, grieve with those whom are experiencing loss. And you're like, Chase, it's really not that big of a deal because it, it was just an election. And it would be a big deal if you didn't get what you wanted. And Jesus invites us to enter into the pain of my neighbor's loss. Like it's over now, Chase. Why are we talking about this? Thanksgiving is coming. Y'all know how this works. Y'all know how this works. Some of y'all not going to even be able to pray over your meal because you're sitting next to somebody who didn't vote the way you did. And Jesus ain't going to hear their prayers, so you don't want to touch them. I ain't sitting with you. I'm sitting at the kid's seat because God's about to smite this bird. <laughs> nope, that's not how this works. I want us to not just leave this Sunday with a compassion and humility for those of us who have experienced the win, right? The win as our world would see the win. But in order for us to actually win, that means that I have a shared identity with people who did not get what they wanted. And a part of me affirming my shared identity with them is grieving with them. Grieving with them. Not obligatorily. Actually grieving with them. Mourning with them. I promise you, when that's the way in which we look at this as the church, we get to move forward in a unity that is far more like what Christ desires from us, even more than making Michigan look the way that Jesus might want it. That's an interesting, controversial concept, I know. Jesus, is, Jesus has got new earth under wraps. He'll take care of that. Our responsibility is not sanctifying the world. <laughs> it's not. Our responsibility is allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify me in such a way that those around me see Jesus and want it too. And he will take care of sanctifying the world. And the best way that I can do that is to not just praise God when I've gotten what I wanted. It's to grieve when someone hasn't gotten what they wanted. Say, so you can't celebrate? Nope, I'm saying hold both. I am. I'm saying hold both. That's that multifaceted, multidimensional phenomenon that is led by the Holy Spirit. Hold both. Because then you also invite those whom are grieving who share the identity in Christ with you to celebrate with you as well. And we get to do both together. But if we see this as us and them family, I'm telling you right now, there's no full celebration or no full grieving and we're just not one. And that is more egregious to the spirit of God than policies passing that are opposite of scripture.
So the invitation is kind of this twofold thing. Those of us who have experienced it not going the way we want, you might be convicted at this moment to repent of the ways in which you've fallen into the trap of, I'm about to guilt the church back to Jesus. I promise you it will not work. It will not. Let it sink in for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to do work there. But those of us who have gotten what we have wanted out of Tuesday and we have failed to look to our left and our right at our sisters and brothers whom are grieving and who are experiencing loss and anger to not pause for a second to be with them. Let that conviction set in for a moment. I'm not saying now go do something. I'm saying Holy Spirit. I've been on the opposite side of what makes your body one. (laughs) And I don't want to be on that side anymore. Help me live as a part of your body. And when we do, that glorifies God. That's how we win and lose like Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father, this is in no way simple, easy stuff. Primarily it's because you call us as your people to exist in this world but not be of it so we're constantly fighting against the way this world would do things may we not be weary in well doing and the well doing here isn't just trying to make Michigan look like you the well doing is me looking like you and showing you to the world around me Holy Spirit, convict me in the area where I need convicting. Encourage me in the area in which I need encouraging. Embolden and fill me with compassion in the areas in which I need emboldening and compassion, Father. Give me grace to care more about your eternal outlook than my momentary emotional roller coasters. And teach us as your church how to show this world what it is to share identity even when we see things differently. Be glorified in how we do life together be worshiped in how we jointly submit to one another. We receive your grace and your mercy for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.